reflect on that. Death to death. Life for me. Thank you, Lord. Death to death. Life for me. I just think death is dead. And we've received life. The sinner's saviour. The sinner's saviour. Not those who deserve it. Not those who worked hard to achieve. The sinner's saviour. Crown him forever. Hallelujah. Death to death. Life for me. Father, we thank you for that great truth today. And we ask, Lord, that you would lead us as we open your word. Reveal your truth. Strengthen our understanding. Give us a, a grasp of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to have our sin forgiven. What a position we were in that we could do nothing about. And Jesus stepped in and at great cost provided a way of escape gave to us credited to our account his righteousness so that when God the Father looks at us he sees Jesus and the death that we should have died because of our sin Jesus took on the cross made a way for us into life death to death life for me Father we thank you for that today in Jesus name Amen alright quickly be seated I beat you it's good to be first today we're going to be looking at how sin has separated us from God with a particular emphasis on Developing a stronger grasp of what it means. And also, I hope that we'll be encouraged in our understanding. Things will become clearer for us today as we look at sin. <laughs> Second message of my occasional three-part series, the sin concept and the scope of separation. I want to start with a rapid-fire kind of look at a scriptural overview of sin. So it's going to be pretty quick. Um, if you like, it's like the Google satellite overview of where you live. We're looking over and it's a big picture. So on the screen are going to come up some Bible verses and I'm going to read them. And they give us a bit of an idea of what the scriptures say about sin. It's not a very popular topic, sin. Um, it's not going to be the kind of topic that, that people will um, be creating little devotional thoughts about. Uh, but I think it's important for us to get an understanding because we then will see our position and God's position a lot more clearly. So, you ready? Rapid fire references to sin and its impact. 
And on the screen, you read, I'll, I'll read out loud, you can follow the words from the scripture. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. If anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Jesus replied, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. We've just come out of the Easter celebrations. We have Christmas at the start of the year or at the end of the year, then Easter. And both of those festivals fix our attention on Jesus. And that's right. Jesus is the author, the pioneer, if you like, and the perfecter of our faith. But my question to us today is, are we fixing our eyes on Jesus from the best vantage point? I tell you, when um, Kathy and I used to be ground dwellers, uh, we lived in a house built on the ground. But uh, we moved out of that house and into our studio apartment, which sounds, which sounds really cool, doesn't it? But it's, it's a flat on top of a carport. But... From that vantage point, we now see the sunrise quite differently. We can look over the city, and every day, it's dramatically different. Every day. When we lived on the ground, we didn't see that. We see more because of our change of vantage point. Dr. Wayne Dwyer says, If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So... 
What perspective are you looking at Jesus from? What's our starting position? What's our point of view? Do we see Jesus as our friend? Do we see Jesus as our maintenance man? He fixes up the things that we tried to to correct ourselves and got started and we need to call him in. Do we see Jesus as our counsellor, speaking soothing, calming, gentle words? Yeah, all of those things are true, but Jesus is much more than just a friend, just a maintenance man, just a counsellor. We get a picture of ourselves and what we are in our position as sinful humans. We get a much better picture of what Jesus is like, what Jesus has done for us. The gospel becomes glorious when the depth and power of our sin is understood as grievous. When we see a clearer glimpse of our sin, we behold a clearer glimpse of the cross. So I think it's time for us to reacquaint ourselves with the skeleton in the closet of humanity. That is our original sin in Adam. It's the sin at the root of our family tree. It's where we started. As descendants of Adam, we all have a part in that original sin. So I want to tell you a story about Kathy's great-great-great-grandfather, Paddy O'Ryan. He was an Irish freedom fighter, arrested, tried, and sent as a convict to Australia. And this set in motion a chain of events. And now all of his descendants are Australian. Kathy didn't choose to become an Australian. She was born into it. Can you believe it? In a similar way, our forefather, Adam, through his sin in Genesis 3, set up all of his descendants with an alignment, a spiritual position towards sin. And that's just how it is. We can't make it any different. And over the period of time, church has become uh, to know this as the doctrine of original sin. So in our Australian Christian Church's doctrinal statement on the fall of man, we read these words. We believe that man was created by God by specific immediate act and in his image and likeness, morally upright and perfect. But he fell through voluntary transgression. Consequently, all men, all people are separated from original righteousness, being depraved and without spiritual life. And that's the position of our church. Sin is both where we start, our position, our starting place, our original sin in Adam. And the doctrinal statement there says, all men, all people are separated from original righteousness, meaning we are found in original sin. And it's not only position, but it's action. It's my individual sins, what I do individually to compound the sin that I already start life with. The essence of sin, I think, a good definition is, and I'll read this, deliberately choosing 
to advance oneself above God. Deliberately choosing to advance oneself above God. And I, I noted, I thought it was really interesting, if we turned that around and said the opposite, we get a really good definition of worship. Deliberately choosing to advance God above oneself. So on the one hand, sin, advancing self above God. On the other hand, worship, advancing God above oneself. Now, as I already alluded to, the reality of sin is pretty unpopular in the 21st century. Most people think we're doing okay. You talk to people outside, we think we're all pretty good. And I think, in a sense, people are like okay with holding that point of view. It doesn't detract, like the original sin idea doesn't detract from the value of the person. I'm not saying people are bad people. In fact, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. We have value to God, even in our sinful state. When we get a grasp of that, I think we begin to understand how much God uh, loves us and cares for us. Um, if we refrain from investigating the Bible claim on the position of sin, we run the risk of inflating ourselves and devaluing the work of Christ. So today we're going to have a little bit of an investigation in Romans chapter 5, the original sin teaching that Paul brings. I think we've got to go back a little bit, though, get down from our tree, if you like, go back to the roots and have a look at Adam's story. So here's a really short synopsis of Adam's story. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, male and female. He created them. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. That's in Genesis 1. Very good. So, no sin. It was very good. God's very pleased with that. Very good. The Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Genesis chapter 2. Now, the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman. Genesis 3. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So 
That's Adam's story. A direct command from God, blatant disobedience. Then both of them knew that they were naked and banishment. So it's like command, disobedience, curse and banished. Paul's theological foundation found in Romans 5 is, uh, sets up a teaching on this idea of original sin, what, what we have inherited from Adam and its contemporary and continuing influence in our lives. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 5 and starting at verse 12. And in this section of the scripture, Paul begins a comparison. It's uh, like, you know, on the television, the ads compare the pair. So he's got Adam on one side and he's got Christ on the other. He continues that comparison in some of his other writings to different churches. Uh, notably in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, he says, For as in Adam, in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Today we're going to major on sin, but you just can't help, when you read the scripture, you can't help seeing grace poking its little head through the blackout curtain. It's a lovely, lovely counter and you'll see more and more that grace actually Paul uses the phrase much more grace is much more than Adam's sin and we'll see that as we go through so let's read together Romans 5 and verse 12 in the NIV there is a little heading into this section it's called death through Adam life through Christ a bit like the song we were singing death to death and life for me. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And there's a hyphen. And a lot of scholars say that that hyphen is there because Paul starts to think along a different line. He wants to explain the idea of sin. So he stops his argument there. And he goes on to explain sin and he picks up his argument again in verse 18. So sin came into the world through one man. It didn't come through the devil. It didn't even come through the snake. It came through one man. You remember when we read Adam's story, Eve took the fruit, ate it, gave it to Adam and he ate. But it wasn't Eve's responsibility. God had commanded Adam not to eat. And so when he ate, I emphasized then the eyes of both of them were opened. So it came through one man. Disobedience, alienation from God, all happened in that one moment. And then you see in the account in the Bible, sin after sin after sin after sin, Generation after generation, right up to the present day, what Adam put in place just continued to produce death. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. So as a result of that sin, death spread to all people. Today we have 100% 
death rate. In the garden, before the sin, 100% life rate. Nothing died. The animals didn't die. The people didn't die. Potentially, without sin, life would be continuing. But because of sin, death. Verse 13, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So sin was in the world before the Jewish law was given, but it's not accounted or imputed, which means credited to your account, where there is no law. So you can actually impute to my account some finances, um, I'm going to be available at the end of the service with my bank account details. Um, imputed means credited to one's account, didn't do anything to deserve it. So, um, Hamish, I'll give you my bank account details later and you can just drop, drop in 100, 200 um, into my account and that'd be awesome. Thank you. Did I see you? Yes, he's nodding. It's awesome. <laughs> we'll organise that. So... Without, without the law, there was no accounting of the sin against the person because the law hadn't been given. So Adam sinned because of a direct command that he disobeyed. There was no other direct commandments until the law. And yet, as we read in verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who is the pattern of the one to come. So death reigned. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Uh, but the verse before Paul says, sin's not accounted to people's account when there is no law. How come if sin produces death, but sin's not accounted because there is no law, how come people died? I think it's because they were in Adam. They were descendants of Adam. They had the same uh, alienation from God. They inherited that. They were in Adam. That's why they died. You know, you can see in chapter 5 of Genesis, there's a whole list of descendants of Adam, and they say stuff like, so-and-so lived for such-and-such, and he died. So-and-so lived for such-and-such and he died. So-and-so lived for such-and-such and he died. Ah, but then so-and-so lived for such-and-such and God took him. It's interesting. Even there, there's the offer of life. Adam is a type or a pattern, Paul says in this verse, of the one who is to come. In saying that, Paul's saying, through Adam... Through his one deed, through that act of disobedience, comes death. But the comparison is through Jesus Christ, through the one deed of the salvation act at the cross, which we've been singing about, comes life. There's a, there's a comparison. Through Adam, death. But through Jesus, life. Verse 15. But the gift, this is the gift of grace, is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, 
How much more? There's that much more. Did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? How much more? Many died through the one man's fall, through the one man's sin. But how much more did the grace overflow to the many through the one man, Jesus Christ? Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. Judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. The judgment followed one sin. It led to the death sentence, condemnation. Paul, being a lawyer, sets up a bit of a case here. He's saying judgment leads to condemnation, the sentence of death. That's because sin is imputed to our account. Sin imputed to our account, credited to our account. Adam's sin credited to our account. So basically, when we begin our life, we are dead. And it's only through the revelation work of Christ that we can come to life. I mean, we're living, we're breathing, but in the spiritual sense, we're dead. Because, he says, justification, which is the act of declaring one right before God, comes because of Christ's righteousness. So that's been credited to our account. Like Hamish is going to put three or $400 into my account at the end of the service. It leads to life. Verse 17, but here's, this is really cool. If by the trespass, pass, trespass is for all you American viewers, if by the trespass of one, that's for the British now, a trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more? Death reigned through that one man, but how much more? Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign? Death reigned through one man. I think you, it's a really helpful thing to think of death as separation. There's three types of separation. It's got a, there's a wide scope of impact here. Three types of separation, three types of death. There's spiritual death, which is the separation of of relationship between us and God. And that happened immediately in Genesis 3.8. Fellowship was broken. Relationship was broken. It took a little while for physical death, which is the second kind of death, to catch up. But Adam eventually died a physical death, which is the separation of soul from body. So we've had a few, hosted a few funerals recently at our church. And the people who have died, their body is here, it's buried, their soul has gone to be with Jesus. So it's the separation of soul and body. If they have received the gracious gift, then their soul is free. And there's, there's the third type of death, which is the eternal death. Revelation speaks of eternal death. It says uh, that... Eternal death is a permanent separation from God. But Revelation 20 verse 6 says, 
The second death has no power over them, referring to Christians. No power over those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now in verse 18, we come back to the argument again. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So one man's trespass led to condemnation for all people. Now we have Adam representing and we have Christ representing. Theologians call this federal theology. It's where you have a representative who takes your place or you follow that representative's position. So if you are in Adam, he's representing you. He's sinned, we sin. If you're in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us and we have grace and eternal life. It's a bit like I was saying to Kathy the other day, we were talking about the Olympic team, people getting ready for Tokyo Olympic. And Australia may possibly win some gold medals. We'll be watching it on the TV and we'll say to the people next day in the lunchroom, hey, we won 12 gold medals. We won 12 gold medals. We won 12. I wasn't there. I actually never did any training. I've watched a few people do training on the rowing down in the Nepean River, but I never did any of that training. But we won them. We won them. They represent us, so we won them. So it's like Adam represents humanity, and in his representation, sin, death, condemnation. In Jesus, who represents those who receive the grace, we have life and imputed righteousness. That representation thing is a really, really strong thing in Paul's writing. Verse 19, Just as through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Verse 20, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now, the law expanded and increased the trespass. Now, I would have thought if you bring in the law, that might constrain sin. Paul's saying, no, the exact opposite happened. They brought the law in and sin increased. It's like if you had no road rules, you can't break the road code. But if you bring in lots of road rules, it's much more easy to break the road code. The law had the opposite effect. What are we going to do? Well, just as sin reigned in death, verse 21, so also grace reigned through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God. Can I have the band and the singers come up? Every person, then every person in the world, every person who's ever been born subsequent to Adam, they are born in Adam. That sin comes with the territory. Every person who receives the offer of salvation is born again in Christ. So without Christ, there is no way to make ourselves acceptable to a holy God. We're lost. We're sunk. Our human nature predisposes us to having a big man, small God perspective and therefore 
to alienation from God. Now this should fuel our devotion and adoration of Christ because Christ took us at that point. He saw what we were like. He knew that we were utterly sinful. And yet he showed his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The sinner's saviour. Crown him forever. The lamb that was slain for us. Not only should it fuel our personal adoration of Christ, we see Jesus from that perspective now. It should give us impetus in our witnessing because without the, the good news, there are people who are going to miss out on eternity with Jesus. There are people who are destined, are heading down. So we really need to be active in telling this news to people. I want to finish with this story. An attorney, after meditating on several scriptures, decided to cancel the debt of his clients that had owed him money for more than six months. He drafted a letter explaining his decision and the biblical basis, and he sent out 17 debt-canceling letters by certified mail. One by one, the letters were returned by the postal service, unsigned and undelivered. 16 of the 17 letters came back to him because the clients refused to sign for and open them, fearing that the attorney was suing them because they hadn't paid their debt. Now, we owe a debt for our sin. We cannot pay it. We can't work ourselves out of the situation we're in. And yet God is willing, like Hamish putting $1,000 into my account at the end of the service, God is willing to impute Christ's righteousness to our account. And we have to, all we have to do is receive that. But for some people, it's too hard. It's even too hard to open the letter and see what's inside, that the debt has been cancelled. Christ's work is finished. We have to receive it. Today, maybe you're in a position where you would like to receive Christ's finished work and have that $1,500 imputed to your account. It's possible. It's true. It's almost too good to be true, but it is true. As we sing this song, you might like to think about a response to God because of his great gift of grace, in spite of our great depth of sin.